Welcome to the Journal Star Newsmakers podcast, where we pair newsmakers from our community with those in our newsroom. Uh, I'm Zach Plahacek, Assistant City Editor at the Journal Star, and today's topic is safety in our schools uh, following the mass shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. Uh, our guests today are Joe Wright and John Sundermeyer. Uh, both are former Lincoln Police Captains who now head up security for Lincoln Public Schools. We also have Margaret Reist, uh, covers K-12 education for the Journal Star. So maybe we should start by mentioning that, uh, that in addition to what happened in Florida, some Nebraska schools have been dealing with threats of their own this week. Um, I guess I'm curious how common that is in Lincoln and what you guys kind of do to prevent them from actually happening. Um, well, the, the concerns that get raised happen fairly commonly. At least a couple times a week we have concerns that are brought to us. They may be uh, specific to a threat to a school or perhaps something uh, more narrow like a, a threat to a student or a teacher, something along those lines, or just behavior of concern. So that's going to happen a couple of times a week. Most of the time we're able to uh, assess and then kind of deal with uh, the concerns, do some things to improve the safety that, uh, that exists uh, in that particular situation and mitigate it uh, to the point where uh, we feel comfortable that, that we've got it fairly well addressed and then we'll just kind of keep an eye on things for a while. Um, I think, John, you started the threat advisory team at LPD, am I correct yes. about that? And Joe, you started a similar threat assessment system at LPS. Could you talk a little about that system and what it is and, and, and what the goal is? When I came to LPS, we started an internal threat team, which is kind of multidisciplinary within the school district, meaning we're using people from human resources, people from education, my security background, our social workers to uh, try and take a good look at issues of concern and look how to manage those. And luckily we can connect to a community team, which John built, which I can let him talk about. Uh, that was several years ago um, where uh, we've invited uh, any number of organizations within the community, uh, the county attorney's office, uh, Lancaster County Sheriff's Office, uh, Southeast Community College, domestic violence advocacy, uh, and, and a number of other groups and, and as well as some mental health professionals and uh, we have what's called a, a Lincoln Threat Advisory Team and essentially we'll meet a couple of times a month and we'll talk about uh, cases, uh, do some assessment of the information that we have uh, and work to manage those situations so that they don't end up in any sort of uh, violence or targeted violence. Um, I would just point out that, that uh, it, it's not a, a group that does this sort of on its own. It's, since it's multidisciplinary, everybody brings their expertise, their skill, their, their access to information to the table and then the different entities will go out and do whatever they can relative to whatever the situation is to nudge it in the right direction, so to speak. And um, but we don't own those as a team. We're, we act as an advisory capacity and, and uh, coordinate our efforts that way. Do you, do some of the reports involve people who could potentially be a threat to schools? Yes, yes, and it's very nice uh, to have those kinds of resources when you talk about uh, mental health, 
uh, issues or um, you know domestic violence right. uh, within the school. Sometimes domestic violence is at the root of violence in a school. So uh, having access to all of those resources is really useful to managing cases. D Joe, you. The threat assessment team at LPS, isn't there sort of a, a similar team that reviews reports that you get or concerns that arise? Right. When we get an issue, we, we have a whole team surround that, so we get that perspective from people with a lot of different levels of expertise who can also, you know, help problem solve because they know what, they, what they're good at with the school system. If it's an employee issue, that might be um, an especially strong uh, help from the HR people um, for a student issue, student services, you know, and then uh, our social workers and mental health people can help at all levels, obviously. Um, we screen a lot of student cases just because it's the nature of schools to wrap around our kids. But once we screen our, our issues into maybe a high, medium, or low level of concern, we really don't have too many students that we aren't already working with and have addressed their issues. A lot of the tricky ones are the domestic violence issues, custody issues with parents, things like that. And that's where it's really nice to have that community team to turn to to help right. connect with them. And those are fairly big issues with schools, aren't Huge. they? Huge, absolutely. And can you talk a little about why that is? Because you've got, well, you've got you a think, kid sort of at the center. Right, if you think of, um, and, and I'll just give an example. You think of a, a mom who's going through a battering situation and is uh, decides to leave the home uh, even though she may be in shelter um, unless they're really going to disrupt that child's life the child's still going to go to school and dad then has uh, legally or at least knows about where that kid is going to be for access and so we need a safety plan with that family to make sure uh, the parents are seeing the children at the right time with the right controls in place. And in times like this, when there's something of the magnitude that of Florida's in shooting, do you get more reports of concerns about potential threats of that nature? We've had an uptick in the past week since Florida. Uh, definitely, it's on people's minds. And so when they see what maybe wouldn't be a red flag or a big, big red flag to them, um, because they're sensitized to the tragedy that happened, they'll go ahead and make that call, which is fine with us. Right, right. And and the uh, how common is a system like this nationwide? Because I know here you have the advantage of a UN an expert in the field, Mario Scalora. Did, did he help you guys create this system? And is it something that most school systems do or? Right, we, we created our system about four years ago when I came to LPS and, and Dr. Scalora helped us uh, put that together to make sure it was a system that would be both functional but match match our our district. I mean, it has to be something that our people can, can use. Um, it varies across the country. Some people aren't connected with the, the thought of threat management or threat assessment at all. And for instance, in the state of Virginia, it's um, Statutory, statutorily mandated that every school have a threat assessment team. So there's a, a real variance across the country. That's right how now. it works. Um, the goal of that obviously is to prevent something from happening, but you also have a system in place when there is a threat. Can you talk a little about what that is? I think most people may recognize the term code red, 
right. that when there was a problem at school, the school was going into a code red. That doesn't happen anymore. Can you talk about why not and what you do now? We shifted to a system called the Standard Response Protocol, and one of the characteristics of that is that it's plain language, so that when people are under stress, what they hear, the advisement, the action they're supposed to take is what they do, and people don't have to interpret what does code red mean? I forgot what that means. Uh, they know we need to either evacuate to take shelter because of weather, to lock out, which is uh, if there's a danger outside the school, we want to lock our doors and make sure we're safe inside, or the lockdown protocol, which is how we manage an active threat, which is inside the school. And how? talk a little about those lockdown. The lockdown response, uh, first of all, what, what I think some people forget sometimes is that the best way to get away from danger is to run away from it if you can. And we, we run evacuation drills uh, at least 12 times a year in every school. Uh, we, we used to think of them as fire drills, but if you think about it, getting out of the building serves uh, to keep people safe in times of a fire, uh, a gas leak, or if there's a threat inside the school. So we practice getting out of the school a lot. We're very good at it. What's relatively new with the, the concept of an active threat inside the schools. If you don't know where the threat is or can't get out, then you go inside of a, a classroom or smaller space that has a locked door, um, set the lock, turn out the lights, get out of sight, remain silent, and wait for first responders to arrive. One of the things, one of the details I found pretty fascinating was the magnet you put in the door. Um, talk about that because it's just a, a detail that I think is pretty interesting. Well, if you think of most of the hardware in every school in the United States, there's a lock on the outside of the classroom which is operated with a key. And if there's an emergency in a school, the last thing we want is a teacher going out into a hallway where they would be exposed and under stress trying to use fine motor skills to get a key into a lock. So what we do is we keep the doors locked at all times and we put a magnet across the the plate and the door jam so that the bolt from the door hardware does not engage, meaning the door's locked, the lock is locked, but the, the door won't go locked and people can come in and out of the classroom as needed. And then if there's an emergency and they need to get the door locked, all they have to do is sweep that magnet out of the way and the bolt will throw into the door. And also, I think that just when you're nervous and you're not thinking clearly, right. it's an easy direction to, to follow. Um, how often do you practice those? It varies. We don't have a mandatory number of lockdown drills. Um, you know, I was at one a couple weeks ago before uh, uh, before the Florida incident happened. Generally, schools do them once or twice a semester. Uh, since this happened, principals, you know, have decided, I think, just because they want to get better, um, they want to make sure the parents know we're engaged. We're seeing a lot going on in the next few weeks. I think we'll see more than we would have. And do kids understand what's, I'm assuming kids understand what's happening. Do teachers talk to them about that? I mean, they do. There are age appropriate uh, advisements that, that the educators are great at giving. But what I've noticed is, you know, when I was a kid, when I was doing a fire drill, I really didn't worry about getting burned. I just knew, well, that's what we do. We do fire drills. And um, I'd have to say it's unfortunate, but kids today know we do active threat drills and it's I think we can do it and, and prep kids without traumatizing them at all it's just something that's important to do and the kids take it pretty seriously but they're okay with it. Yeah. Um, there's there's a whole system in place here that is 
beyond just the lockdown. I mean, you have it goes as it, it's the architecture of the school. You know, there's a barrier before people come in. Can you talk about some of the other things that are in place in the district that um, people probably wouldn't see or realize? If, if you remember back in, I think, 2013, we passed a bond, which was not to build new buildings, but to create secure entrances at each existing building. So uh, a lot of us remember being able to go into a school from any open door, especially on a warm day, maybe walk past the kindergartners on the way to the office to, to tell everyone that you're there. At Lincoln School now, there's generally one door or, or maybe two. Some of the high schools have two controlled entries. One of our big elementaries actually has two different access points where you come in and uh, by way of architecture, either enter the office immediately or enter into a SIM station secure entry monitor where that person will put your name in computer, make sure you aren't on a couple lists of, of people that we're concerned about. And then after that check is made, you know, which includes a visual check. How does this person look? Do they have a, a reasonable uh, reason for being at the school? Do they look as if they're, you know, upset or anything like that? If, if they pass that test, then they're let into the rest of the school. So there's a barrier there. People can't just correct. walk on in right. like they used to be able. Also, there's cameras in the high schools, correct? Right. We put and cameras what, in the high schools about three years ago. And why? What was, it, was that a security measure or... It was. That decision was made right before I came and we implemented right after I got here. Um, we found them to be uh, very useful. Uh, but remember, cameras are forensic. We don't live view cameras. We don't have feeds going out where people monitor employees or students. They're usually used to figure out what went wrong after something. Yeah, after the fact. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have anything you'd like to add to the conversation? Um, things that are happening at LPS that helps keep kids safe? Um, just in a time where something like Florida's happened, it raises a lot of concern within the community and we really do want to hear from parents and other community members on what they think. If they think we're operating at the levels we need to, if they like what they see, if they don't like what they see. It's the safety at the schools in a lot of ways is a very community-driven decision. Right. On that, I do have one other question and that is there's a lot of talk about metal detectors. What, do we need metal detectors? Why or what, why do we not have metal detectors in schools today? Again, that's another community decision. Mm -hmm. um, if you think about when you visit the Lancaster County Courthouse, um, if you look at the staff there, the amount of people that have to run one entrance, you, you could start to think, okay, expand that to every school. And keep in mind that once you start using metal detectors, you have to keep a school secure at all times or else people can bring things through other doors at other times. And with the amount of um, basketball games played after hours, with the amount of CLC programming we have after hours, think of how the nature of schools would have to change if we want to take that step. And again, it's a community decision. But uh, the bottom line is if, if you go to metal detectors, there is a huge amount of culture change that would have to occur at the schools as well. Right. I guess the one thing that I would add would be um, there's that see something, say something culture that we really are trying to build uh, in, in Lincoln. I think it is taking hold to a certain extent, but um, there's an awful lot of screening that, that people will do or discounting of concerns or information and and people really ought not to do that. They ought to bring it forward and let, let somebody who's got 
some uh, resources, take a look at, at that concern. Uh, we screen the vast majority of concerns out, but, but we know that, that the one that, that's going to save lives or prevent somebody from getting hurt is out there. And so we don't mind all the work to screen through these so we can get to the ones where we know we need to take action in order to prevent something from happening. And part of that, I would think, is an education process for, you know, if there are students who are worried but they don't want to get somebody in trouble, right? Exactly. And, and your message in that way is? We're going to be very discreet and we're going to be confidential. Uh, we are not out here to, you know, identify lots of troublemakers. We're just really looking for the, the serious concerns uh, of, of targeted violence. Yeah. All right. Thank that's, you. Yeah, thank you. That's, that's all for us today. Uh, <laughs> thanks to Joe Wright and John Sundermeyer, our guests. And, uh, of course, thanks to you all for listening. Uh, you can follow Margaret Reese's coverage of Lincoln Schools on our website, journalstar.com. Um, if you have any thoughts on today's podcast or ideas for future newsmakers, email me, Zach Plahachik, at citydesk at journalstar.com. Have a great day.